Well, good morning again. One of the downsides of preaching in two different locations back to back is uh, if I've got to do a little pastoral care in between, sometimes I run a little behind. So it is good to have you here. Is, uh, is God's spirit in the room? Okay, all right. That's what I trust as well. My goodness. Um, the Lord's doing amazing things in people's lives behind the scenes, and uh, it's due at least in part to the prayers of the people. We've been praying and praying that God's spirit would be moving in our midst, that we'd see breakthrough, and uh, let's continue to pray that right now. Let's pray together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. May the name of Jesus be held in high honor and all that we say and do. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about the love of God in our midst, and we had a sermon series called Be Mine, where we were talking about God says that to us, you know, to be the Lord's. God says, I want to, I want to love you, I want you to be in my family. And so as we respond to God's love, and we accept his grace and his forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and you realize, wait a second, this isn't just about me, it's not just about you, it's not just about us individually, it's about all of us together. And so we realize then that Jesus himself said to love other people as he has loved us. And in the Bible, it identifies Jesus as the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. If you wonder what God is like, then we come to Jesus, we look at how he lived and, and how he taught and how he interacted with people, and then we realize that's the way God loves us. Now, I assume that that was all clear enough, you know, and as we were talking, you know, week after week, I assume that you've been living this out every single day. Yes? I appreciate that some of you are not lying in church. You're like, nope, nope, sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. And it's tough. It's so tough that as I started thinking about if we really lived this out, what would it look like? And I realized that for me, this is difficult. And number two, it causes suffering. It's difficult and it causes suffering. I started thinking about as I try to love other people, then I care about more people than just myself. Now, I have enough issues and problems and hurt and pain in my own life. I don't need yours as well. But wait, as I love you like Jesus loves you, now it's not just about me, it's about us together. Now I care about you also. And then as you start knowing other people, then you start realizing, wait, I, I care about them also. And, and now my joys increase, but also my pain increases. If you think about a grandparent that has some kids, and then those kids have kids, so the grandparent has kids, then their kids have kids, and now you've got a bunch of grandkids, now that, that increases your blessing. I mean, that's amazing, that's wonderful, but then also you realize, wait, I'm starting to care about all these other people other than just me, and now I've got this big long prayer list that I'm caring about all these people. Your suffering increases as you love people. Oh my gosh, they got to tell you that before you start having kids. It's going to be joyful, but also you're going to care about them. And when they hurt, you hurt. Now, as we live that way then, you start realizing, oh, wait, it's also difficult because people are difficult. 
People sometimes say stuff that hurts. Sometimes things happen around us that, that cause us to hurt. And here we're trying to love them. And yet, sometimes you may be like, well, why don't you appreciate it? You know, I'm doing all this stuff. Why, you know, and, and it hurts. It hurts what they say or what they don't say. I mean, you know, it just, it's complicated. So it's not easy. And depending on your environment, your family, your workplace, it may be exponentially difficult for you. Because then the suffering may come in because it might be that your boss is not real impressed that you're following Jesus. Sometimes in the business world, the expectation is that you will do things or say things that you realize Jesus doesn't want you to do or say, and now you've got a conflict. And you're like, wait, do I follow this boss who does hold some power over me, or do I follow Jesus who holds ultimate power over both of us? And so am I going to do what God wants me to do, or am I going to do what the boss wants me to do? And it's all easy and nice for us to sit here, you know, in the nice warmth, you know, in the, in the, in the church and say, I'm going to do exactly what God wants me to do. But we all know that sometimes it's going to get real tough to do exactly what God wants you to do. Or if you're in school, all of a sudden you try to reach out to that kid that other people are looking down on and they're, they're making fun of. And you've been over here with some other kids that, you know, don't really you know, make fun of each other because they're making fun of this other person. And then you're like, wait, Jesus really wants me to befriend that person, so now I'm their friend. Your original social group, are they going to accept you for reaching out to that other person? Sometimes they will, and sometimes it goes badly, doesn't it? We probably got some adults in here that are like, yeah, I tried to do that, and I lost like five friends overnight because I decided, nope, God wants me to reach out to this other person. And that happens as you get older, <laughs> You know, you think that we're all going to outgrow that kind of clickishness, but it still exists, doesn't it? It still exists. You go winter in Florida as a retiree, and you still have the same problem sometimes, you know? Are you going to be with the in crowd, or are you going to reach out to this other person? You know, I don't know. You're like, I'm always that other person. <laughs> well, okay, so it's rough. We all suffer. We get it. And so in the midst of it then, the realistic kind of expectation is that suffering is going to happen. So Paul, follower of Jesus in the early years of the first century A.D., he knew that it was going to be tough, but he also knew that the more that he loved like Jesus wanted him to love, the stronger he got. And it seems like that's the opposite of the way it should work. If you lean into suffering, won't that make you more depressed and won't that make you sadder and sadder? Not necessarily, if you put these two ideas together that Paul puts together. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus Christ. And that's like, okay, I don't want to just know about him, but I want to know that he's there with me no matter what, and I want to be able to interact in some way, shape, or form. I want to, I want to somehow be able to have that power. So he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. <laughs> Doggone it. Sometimes I'm like, you know, just rip that out of the Bible, right? You know, I don't want to listen to that. You know, oh my goodness, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his what? Let's say it. Death. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, if this was your, like, go-to Bible verse before you went to bed every day? You know, and it's like, okay, Lord, tomorrow, I mean, tomorrow, I really want to suffer. I want to participate in your sufferings tomorrow even more, and I want to become more like you in your death. That seems so strange. That seems so counterintuitive. And yet it's this beautiful paradox that when you align yourself with Christ's 
love and suffering, you realize that you've got actually more power than you thought that you had. Other things will affect you and your emotions will go up and down and up and down, but you're going to have this underlying strength that other people are going to look at you and say, what's up with you? Like, I've been depressed about this loss for days and days and you, you know, it was bad for a day or two and, and you seem to be like, ready to attack the world again. Like, how, how is it that you have this underlying strength? This is it. The power of both his resurrection and the sufferings put together. And then he says, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, this is weird, especially if you didn't grow up in a, in a Christian context. So now, you Christians out there, think about if you did not know any of the Bible and then you saw this verse, what do you think? Half of you think zombies, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, wait, you're dead, then you come back, and now you're hungry for brains, right? Like, that's, that's the way this plays out, like on, you know, Netflix. Um, so anyway, but that's not what we're talking about. This is ancient, but it's relevant to today. This, is, this has been going on and on. Like, this is our hope that Jesus really rose from the dead after he was killed on the cross. That's why we've got the giant T around churches, right? It was a cross that he was nailed to and he died. He died, he was put in the tomb the third day he rose from the dead. So we're going to celebrate that at Easter. This is the season in the springtime that church people call Lent, L-E-N-T, preparing for that celebration. And what ancient Christians realize is that as you lean into this death of Jesus and the promise of the resurrection where he rose again from the dead, then as you look at your own death, you realize, wait, that's not the end of the story. There's a resurrection from the dead that I can hold on to and that I can believe in and have faith in and hope in that gives me power and strength even now. The worst that befalls you and I now is not any worse than Jesus dying on the cross. And so if he rose from the dead after that, then whatever we face in life, then as we raise from the dead as well, And that's the idea that you're given a new body. You're not hungry for brains. It's not this current body just kind of eaten by worms and, you know, it's not that kind of stuff. Jesus' body had similarities, but he was also different. His best friends knew it was him after talking with him and interacting, but initially they were like, wait a second, the last we remember, you had been beaten to death almost, almost beaten to death, and then hung on a cross, and then there you died, and you were this bloody, ripped-up mess. And there, Jesus is fine, but he's got some scars in his hands and his feet and in his side. So it's a real body, real resurrection from the dead. That's what Christians believe in. You're like, wait, I thought we just believed that you were just kind of like Casper the friendly ghost, and that's it. No, no, it's a resurrection from the dead. You, your personality, you, you still have this resurrected body, Some way, somehow, that's what we're hoping for. It's repeated again and again in the Bible. Now, as I think about that, then I I start kind of doing the math and thinking, okay, all right, so let's put this together. Jesus said, love one another as as he did, and and it led him to both have great joy and great suffering. So if I love like he did, I'm going to have great joy and I'm going to have great suffering. But in the midst of that, I'm going to I'm going to believe and know that Jesus rose from the dead so that when I die, if I'm, if I'm living that way, his way, with his forgiveness and love in my heart, then when I die, then I have promise of having a new body, resurrected body, into eternity. And I have walked the, the walk of death with some elderly people who are like, I can't wait 
for body 2.0. Like, you can have this one. Like, I'm done with it. There's nothing left here. And they would die in peace and great encouragement in the midst of it because they knew this isn't the end of the story. So it can give you hope now and in the hour of your death. So in the midst of all of it then, let's say that you don't believe in God and you don't follow Jesus. Will you still have suffering in your life? Yeah. Now isn't that interesting? Because evil is going to whisper in your ears, hey, it's not worth it. Unless it's going to make you happy all the time and wealthy and just perfectly healthy all the time, you ought to not believe it. It's not worth it. And then you step back and say, well, wait a second. If I give up on all of it, am I going to be happy all the time? Am I, all, if I'm, am I ever going to suffer? No, I'm going to have the exact same types of sufferings. Sometimes I'll get sick. Sometimes you might struggle at work. Sometimes you might get picked on at school. Sometimes you may lose this, this loved one. If you don't believe in God and you don't follow Jesus, you're going to still have that same suffering. Are you with me so far? Now, some of you, you know where I'm going with this. So if you're going to have that suffering in life anyway, why not step back and say, I'm going to make it mean something. Like I'm going, I'm going to make it count, not because I can make it count, but because God working through me can make my life count. It can help me to help other people and to love other people and to give them hope in the midst of whatever I go through. I've been so encouraged at times to see people really suffering and they're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. Like, it is scary, but I'm trusting in Jesus because even if it kills me, I'm going to raise from the dead eventually anyway. And you see that kind of strength. You realize, okay, so if I live for Jesus in the midst of my suffering, it will make my life count for something more than if I had just abandoned it all and lived for myself. Yeah, and I see this. I use this example, and then I'll give you another example that I heard right after the first service. My example was I did a funeral for a lady, and maybe I've told you this before, talking with a few family members that knew her and that even lived with her, and I had said, hey, tell me all the wonderful things about this loved one of yours. And they said, she loved to play cards. Oh, and she loved bingo. And so I took another 30 minutes digging in, saying, all right, what else? What else was good about her? What else did she do? What other types of things? What else was great? She loved cards, and she loved bingo. That was it. No joke. Now, that's terrifying for a minister to then have to lead a funeral, <laughs> you know, and try to build people up and encourage people when on her tombstone, essentially, it could only say, love cards, love bingo. Now, I've got no problem with cards or bingo. I like both. Let's play, you know, right? Yeah, pastime, fine. That's great. <laughs> but don't you dare put on my tombstone, Nathan loved cards and loved bingo, and that was it, right? I mean, that's like, oh my gosh, terrifying, terrifying guy in the first service he said yeah I went to a cousin's funeral they said no good thing about the person at all and when we got to the graveside there weren't enough people to carry her casket to the grave nobody cared man like you you have folks in your life and neighbors maybe even family members where they don't have hope they don't know God's love they don't know how Jesus frames the entire conversation of your life. And at the end of their life, they may have had some happy times for themselves that were basically wasted days, right? So as you think about it, you think, wait, okay, so if I'm, I'm going to suffer anyway, 
I've got a certain number of days maybe that I'm going to live anyway. Why don't I make them count? <laughs> like, why don't I lean into this whole idea? I will raise from the dead someday. So I'm not going to fear death. I'm not going to fear the suffering. It's just, I'm just not going to fear it. Because the worst that can happen to me is certainly not any worse than Jesus went through. And if he rose from the dead, then I could identify with that and I could live it. Now, this is countercultural. I realize that. I want to lean into this for a second. This idea of death and resurrection is countercultural. Because in our culture around us, what we want to think is that we can cheat death or we can avoid it, we can get away from it. And, um, and we're not going to have to have a resurrection from the dead because we're just going to like pass from this life into the next and there's, you know, just kind, of, just kind of ignore it, right? Or maybe there is no next and so I just don't even want to think about it. So our culture would lie to us and say a couple of different things. Death should be avoided and denied. <laughs> I just don't want to go there. I don't, I, Nathan, I'm tired of you even talking about it. <laughs> um, and number two, death is the end. So that's it. There's nothing else. That's a lie, but it's out there all the time. So then life would then be either be meaningless or um, it's just whatever you want it to mean. Let's lean into these. Um, this idea that death should be avoided. I know, I know funerals are hard to go to, but they're good for us. I do a reevaluation every time I ever do a funeral. I'm like, okay, am I loving my wife right? Am I loving my boys right? Am I becoming a workaholic and just ignoring them? Or vice versa? Is it all about me and my, my joy and I don't want to suffer for the people that I'm working for? You know? And it's just like, all right, I'm going to be in that box someday. Like, all right, Nathan, step up. It's good for me. It's really strange. There have probably been times when I've come home. Actually, I know there have been times where I've come home happier after having done a funeral than I was before the funeral. Because I heard people brag about how this person faced it and lived out life courageously and was there for people and loved people and sacrificed for people. And I'm just like, now they're face-to-face with Jesus. They're okay. I got criticized one time for smiling too much in a funeral. No joke. Grumpy lady came up to me and said, that was, you're smiling just a whole time. And I just, I just don't think that was appropriate. And I was like, were you listening to what these people were saying about how good this person was with Jesus living through them? Like, this is a celebration. That person is with Jesus saying, I'm good. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, stop crying, right? You know, it's like, I know that was, oh yeah, sure. I say all that good stuff and it's the dance that gets them. I see how it is. That's fine. <laughs> don't avoid it don't avoid it right lean into it it's really going to be okay it's going to be all right <laughs> this idea that, that death is the end um some of you studied Nietzsche in school you know Friedrich Nietzsche and you know that toward the end of his life it got real dark and then he, he committed suicide now those two might have been directly related they might not have I'm not saying that they were or they weren't I have no idea didn't know him <laughs> couldn't couldn't tell you but even before his tragic death he abandoned all Christian faith. His sister kept reaching out to him. And in his last days, his sister, the believer, cared for him and cared for him. But he was like, this is silly. This is stupid. Um, God is dead. And, and before he started losing his mind, he even put forward, he said, essentially, once you abandon God and morality, then you're left with madness. And then he lived it out. He didn't mean to. He was just saying, look, I recognize why people want to hold on to their faith because once you leave, leave that out, then it's like maybe there is meaninglessness. Now, let's talk about um, a documentary you could check out. I'm not telling you to. I'm not recommending it on one hand, but for me it was interesting. Um, I think it was Amazon Prime. There's this guy, um, Stephen Hawking. 
you know, the, the physicist, uh, you know, wheelchair-bound, brilliant guy, He's done a, a, amazing things theoretically. But he, in his documentary, he starts talking about the meaning of life. And at the end of the documentary, the first section of it, he says, so basically there is no meaning in life that we can tell. It doesn't look like there's any true meaning, you know, that we can discern. So life is whatever the humans make it to be. That sounds great and uplifting until you start thinking about, wait, so you can make your own meaning, and if it conflicts with mine, then whoever's more powerful, you win out. <laughs> you know how this works. And you can work it out in the country or at your local level, but if it's just whatever you want, oh, it's just my own happiness is the meaning of my life, so I'm going to eat, drink, and be happy, and floss. You know, I'm just going to party my tail off. That's all that there is. And I've talked with people after year after year after year of living that out, and then I've seen some hollowness in their faces, and they're like, wait, I thought that's all that life was, but if that's it, like, this really stinks. That's it? It's like, no, 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 no. Wait, there is more hope than that. Jesus himself, after raising from the dead, was literally seen by eyewitnesses that started writing stuff down eventually. First they started telling people, then they started writing stuff down. They're like, look, this dude's different. <laughs> like, he rose from the dead. And then they remembered, wait, he had said earlier to a lady, no less. Somebody looked down upon in the culture, and he wanted her to know, look how much I love you, and look at the hope. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. It's like, how could that be, right? Your body's going to wear out. I'll become worm food someday. I hope I'm tasty. I'm taking care of myself. I'm eating well. I hope worms like vegetarians. And I don't know. But right, you're going to wear out. You're going you're gonna to die someday. But he is, I'm the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Even though you die, you're going to live. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, no, he's not. In 1 Corinthians 15, so later Christians, a couple of later Christians, we're going to talk about Paul, Peter, and John, okay? So Paul, when he's looking at all of this, he says, okay, so since death came through a man, I'm talking about the early humans, right? Adam and Eve, they were descending against the Lord. The resurrection of the dead comes through a man. He's talking about Jesus. And then he talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So you can be raised from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead. Provides forgiveness and his resurrection power can come upon you when you receive his forgiveness and his love. You've got it, right? Peter, <laughs> okay, this is, this is not long. We're talking hours or just a few days after, a few days, after Jesus has been killed at the hands of the Romans, but remember it was the, the, the religious leaders who sold him out and lied and got the, the, the Romans to kill him, right? So to some of those religious leaders who were in this crowd after Jesus rose from the dead and after he appeared to hundreds of people, Peter then looks at the crowd that includes some of these murderous people and he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. <laughs> Na, 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 right? Like, I mean, that's kind of what he's doing, right? He's like, what you gonna do? You wanna whip me and then put me on a cross and kill me? Too bad, I'm gonna raise from the dead, man. Like, Jesus promised, and we saw it. And it turned the world upside down as these people went out and they started telling people, look, this is true, this is hopeful. And you're like, how can I know that it's true? Jesus starts talking to you, kind of giving you ideas and feelings on the inside of your being and assures your soul, this is real. It's not me. It's not me convincing you. It's the Holy Spirit of God convincing you. So back to 1 Corinthians 15, back to Paul. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And Stephen Hawking would say, that's exactly right. 
because he didn't raise from the dead, right? I mean, that's what, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be insensitive. I know, I, I truly don't, I truly don't. Um, Big Bang Theory really got a hold of me, you know, when they would make fun, you know, it's just, it's tough. Now let me pause here for a second. You can go to churches in our country, all over the place, where the pastor, either secretly or in front of people, doesn't believe this. Be a pastor of a Christian church and not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, okay? And Paul would look at that pastor and say, sit down. Sit down and stop teaching because Jesus really rose from the dead. If he didn't, then game off. Let's go eat, drink, and be merry and find some other way to live because this is stupid to come to church. But if he did raise from the dead, that changes everything. That changes how we live, it changes how we die, and it changes everything in between. Our faith is based on it. In the book of Revelation, toward the end, these words were written. Now, Revelation's a weird book, especially for us. In the ancient world, there were a lot of different writers that would write in kind of apocalyptic ways. They would talk about the end of time, and they would use all kinds of flowery imagery and just crazy images and stuff. And I mean, you think zombie movies are interesting. In the ancient world, when they would have imagined stuff, like they would come up with all these really crazy ideas and, and crazy... But then, in the midst of all of that, John has a legit vision from God that he writes down, and the people then that read it, the Spirit of God upon them says, wait, this is true. This one's different. Like, this is really, truly a vision of future things. And at the very end, he talks about we're all judged before God. We're all raised from the dead in terms of you're given this new body, kind of like Jesus was. And then those that love the Lord, that love God, are given this new heaven and new earth. And here's what he sees. And he writes down in Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Remember the sea in the ancient world was terrifying. Like you don't know if you're going to drop off the edge of the earth. There are beasts in the, in the sea. It is scary, terrifying. You don't understand it. And so they're like, look, somehow there's peace. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no, be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know whether it's this actual earth and it changes some of the, the laws of nature and so forth and just kind of remakes everything in this particular earth or whether it's all burnt up in fire quite literally and we're given this whole new existence. Sometimes we say, well, what's heaven going to look like? Well, there, there will probably be some similarities to this world because if you take sin out of this world, you take all the sin and brokenness and pain out of this world. This world's pretty doggone amazing. Like if you love each other and you have a really good day with your friends and your family and there's not death and crying and pain, that's just a glimpse of what life with God can really be like forever, like day after day. That's beautiful. You glimpse it. This is the promise, and I come back to this in most funerals that I do, just to remind us, wait, this world, 
let's take care of it the best we can. Let's care for it. But it's this new heaven and new earth that you're living for and a new resurrected state. That's your, that's your hope. And that's what the early Christians got. That's why they could look at the people that murdered Jesus and say, you murdered him and God raised him from the dead. So <laughs> game over, your, your way of living doesn't work anymore. Like this is a brand new deal that you've got to understand and live by. It's beautiful. If you're going to live that out, this is my final slide, and I want to tell you about my friend Steve. Die well, and you'll really live. Every day that goes by, you're one step closer to death. That sounds like a country song. Is there a country song that sounds like that, right? I mean, that's like old school country, not like the hip-hop country, right? You know, this is like, you know, you're sitting there, and you're contemplating life, and you realize every day that goes by, I'm, I'm a step closer, man. Now, is that a depressing way to live? Well, let me put before you exhibit A, who's my friend Steve. Someday I may have him come and preach for me. He's, he, um, he's in his 30s, and he has multiple different life-threatening illnesses that you can't tell by looking at him. Now imagine if you had a life-threatening illness where you could die at any moment, but people looking at you think that you're fine. That's kind of a weird way to go through life, right? And he's a big guy, looks you know, big and strong and stuff. But no joke, at any time, like the doctors that know his stuff, uh, I went with him to a blood draw one time, and the lady was just kind of debating whether or not to put him into the hospital, and Steve's like, yep, that's uh, just kind of every day, right? I mean, I, this may be it for me. He, wear, he wears a, um, uh, a knit hat with a scrawl, skull and crossbones on it, um, and he has a really big, long beard, like, looks like a pretty tough guy, right? And he's also a lot taller than I am. Um, you two know him. Um, and so uh, he's got skull and crossbones a lot of times when, when it's cold outside, and people think that he's just like morbid. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm already dead. According to the Bible, I died in Christ. My sin is gone, and every day, like, this may be it for me. Um, so I'm going to live out my life joyfully and for God. And so he's got five kids. He'll cook for his kids, and they have an awesome time together. He'll stay up until two or three in the morning talking with his wife. You know, and they'll watch movies and they'll, they'll process life and stuff. And, um, you know, when things are rough, they work it out. He leans into it. He is working to plant a church and start a church that I have no idea whether he'll get to see the full fruit of it. I mean, I have to process. I may have to someday do his funeral. Right? I mean, I've dealt with that. This is one of my best friends in the whole world. And he's just like, ah, I might die. Oh, well. Like, literally, that's the way he lives. And then he's like, okay. We went into a downtown situation one time, pretty dangerous. And he was just like, what are they going to do? <laughs> I already dealt with my mortality. I'm good. It is so freeing, it's scary. It's so freeing that sometimes when people are talking to him, they want him to feel worse about it. He said, sometimes doctors and nurses intentionally keep trying to tell me how bad off I am, kind of like, because until I'm sad, they're going to think that I don't believe it. <laughs> He's like, I believe it. It's just I also worship a risen Savior who's going to raise me from the dead someday. So Holy Communion is that celebration. So when Jesus had his last meal with his disciples, it was a special Passover Seder meal where they were celebrating the fact that their ancestors had been saved from slavery in Egypt and had been rescued into a promised land. And Jesus is like, no, no, this earth is great, but there's a new one coming. You trust in me, and I'll bring you to the next one. And so 
when he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, he then said, this is my body given for you. And they're like, um, I'm pretty sure it was bread. <laughs> well, later they realized, wait a second, he's connecting an image with what he's going to really live out. He really was the spiritual food that we needed. So when you eat it, you're reminded and you're connecting with the Jesus who you really need and who can give you eternal life. When he blessed the cup, he then offered it to his disciples and said, drink from this. This is the blood of the new covenant. And then when they, they drank it, they were like, no, I'm pretty sure this is from grapes. And then they realized later, oh, wait a second. His real blood was shed for me. He loves me that much. He bleed and die for me. And when we have that meal and we reenact it, I'm reminded of what he did for me and I'm connecting with him spiritually. So, I'm going to wear out. I'm going to wear out. I'm going to die. But I trust in him for resurrection from the dead because he raised from the dead. It's part of why we celebrate Holy Communion. Let's pray. God, would your blessing be upon us and upon these elements. When we receive them, commune with our spirit. Unite us together with you and with each other by your spirit. We remember what Jesus did for us. We remember what he did in the Last Supper. And as we perform this holy action, Holy Spirit of Jesus, be with us, come upon us, fall upon us, and fill us. Amen. Amen. We'll have some servers that will prepare to serve you. Have the loaves of bread that you can that you can tear off a piece of the bread and then dip it into the cup and you'll receive both elements at the same time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you need gluten-free elements, we have some there that have been separate from the bread as well. And so I will hold those to the side right here. So if you need those, just simply point, say gluten-free, please, and that will be fine, okay? So in just a second, we'll begin. The ushers will help you to know. You don't have to be a member of this church. You need only love Jesus and follow him as your Savior. And that's you, then you're invited to come and receive. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you'd like to receive, would you come now? Mm -hmm.